good to see each of you this morning. I hope you've been praying for this service. This is a time we will have our communion service. Scripture does not give any indication on the frequency, how often we ought to observe the Lord's Supper. It simply says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So we choose right now to only observe it twice a year. Um, Some folks, some churches do it once a month. Some folks do it every Sunday. That's that's okay. Um, Point is that this is a serious and somber occasion. Um, Not to be come into lightly or anything other than reverence. This is the time that we have been commanded by our Lord to set aside to remember His death for you. We have a couple of our newest members. I believe this will be their first communion with us. And so, as with everything that we do, we want to be grounded in the Scripture. Um, what distinguishes Old Baptist from other groups is that we simply try to see what's in the Scripture for the New Testament church and do that. It's not there. We don't add it. If it is there, we jolly well better do it. Um, and so, I want to look at the Scriptures where the Lord's Supper was instituted. It's not given by Jesus as a suggestion. It was a command. So we're going to try to learn a little bit this morning. This may be something for you who have been in the church a while. You may not learn anything new this morning. That's okay. You need to be reminded. But hopefully it will call to your mind and hold it a little bit closer as we actually observe communion what exactly it is that we're doing why it is. So the first place I'd like to look is in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus had sent his disciples into Jerusalem to prepare the Passover meal and gather in the upper room. We'll just start reading in verse 19. So Matthew 26 The disciples did as Jesus had appointed him, and they made ready the Passover. Now when evening was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. I'm going to chase a rabbit here for just a minute. Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one to say unto them, Lord, is it I? We need to examine ourselves this day. Lord, have I betrayed you? Now we know this is literally referring to the betrayal that Judas would give him up to the high priests. But in our day, in each day, do we betray our Lord? Do we pursue things that are not in His interest, not in His glory, that bring shame to His name, we do, we do betray Him. I want you to look at the church of Laodicea, right? Revelation chapter 3. There's a message given to this church. Revelation 3 and 14. Under the church of the Laodiceans, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works 
all-knowing God. Brother Parrish expressed his thankfulness for the all-powerful, all-knowing God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert either cold or hot. On a hot day, a cold beverage is quite refreshing. On a cold day, a hot beverage is quite refreshing. But this church was neither. Rather, then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Either of those beverages, you let them sit out long enough, what are they going to do? You're going to go to room temperature. And do you enjoy, are they as profitable, are they as good at that room temperature as they would when they were either cold or hot? No. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This church had become deceived by the plenty that they experienced in this world and thought that they were good. They had it. This is a good description for our whole country. And they don't even know, and we don't even know when we're deceived like that, that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me, buy of Jesus, gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Have we betrayed him by being lukewarm? By allowing the deception of the things of this world to be so important? Think, well, we're good. And not recognizing that Without Him, without His daily graces, and without the spiritual things that we need, we're just poor and blind, wretched and vile. Lord, have I betrayed You? Remember what Jesus would say after, the, after He had come back from the resurrection and they'd be fishing on the shore and He went to Peter. Right? Peter, who had betrayed him three times, he asked him a question three times, Lovest thou me? Well, the first time he said that, he said that, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? How much do you love the Lord? Do you love Him more than those around you? I mean, rubber beast murder, do you love Him more than your family? Do you love Him more than yourself? That's what we're called to. Lord, have I betrayed Thee? They were exceeding sorrowful. Back to Matthew 26. They were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say, Lord, is it I? And He answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of Him. There was a path that had been plotted for Jesus. And He was going to fulfill it. It had been written. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Judas. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed Him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And He said unto him, Thou hast said, leads us into our scene. And as they were eating, so this is in the midst of this, this Passover meal, this final Passover, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Jesus took bread 
And he's already said that the, the bread is his body. But I want you to think about this. And you have God selecting the bread, right? God the Father took the bread of life in his Son. In that covenant of grace before the foundation of the world, God chose God. Here, God is holding the bread that represents himself. Jesus took the bread. God took the bread and God blessed it. That blessed, I learned some Greek, it's a compound word. One means uh, well or good, and the other is logos, the word. To speak well of it, to speak good of it, to praise, to give glory, to celebrate. God is blessing the symbol of himself. God the Father blessing the body of his son. He's celebrating. It's worthy of praise. He took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. That body was going to be broken. Tortured. Maimed. Pummeled. Slaps across the face. Closed fists. Hit with whips. Hit with reeds. Isaiah would say his beard would be plucked out. And he would be marred beyond recognition. That's what's being pointed to. Hadn't happened yet, but as we take communion, that's what we're hearkening back to. That body that God took, God chose, God sent, that God blessed, was then to be broken. And He took that broken bread, that broken body, and He gave it to His disciples. Not to everyone in the world without exception. He gave it to His God gave God to His and said, Take, eat. This is my body. That eating, they're taking that that was broken on their behalf and there is an intimate union there. It's being consumed. They're partaking of it And it's to their health. It's to their benefit by the breaking of that that bread. As we come to this table, we are coming just as Jesus blessed that bread praising that bread, celebrating God for that bread. We are coming and praising God and celebrating that body that was broken for you. This is an intimate thing. This is not a general service, if you will. But as you come and take communion you're praising God that bread is a symbol for the body that was broken for me for you so praise the Lord for that body was broken and after that in verse 27 he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So again, God 
took the cup. God the Father, in that covenant of grace with His Son, took His Son and sent Him the blood, which is represented by His this wine here. He took that cup. And here He gave thanks. It's a different word from bless. He gave thanks. He expresses gratitude to the God Almighty for that blood that was sent. To express gratitude. The gratefulness that we should come into this service thanking God and thanking our Lord for that blood that was shed for me. And again, who did He give it to? He gave it to His disciples. He gave it to them. And just as the instructions were before to eat, He gave it to drink. Not just part, all of it. Over in Luke, they'd have an additional instruction given that was divide it all among yourselves. Look at it real quick. Make sure I'm, I don't want to misquote anything. It's in Luke 22. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Drink ye all of it. You are all an equal sharer in the blood of Christ. There's no one among us who has a greater claim or higher position or entitled to any more to Him or any less of Him. You all share in the Lord equally. If you look over in 1 Corinthians, you can see 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you can see where we get that word, or we call this service the communion service. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 16 says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which you break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one, one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. We're all participants, all sharers of that one bread and body. And that word communion literally means partnership, but it's the same word elsewhere that would be used to describe um, communicating monetarily among the churches. And there was a benefaction. There was some good that was given. He's given you His body. He's given you His blood. And you have become a participant in that. And you're the beneficiary of it. It's not an equal partnership here. You didn't add anything to it but your sin. He gave you all that was needed. And it took all of it. And that harkens back to the Old Testament. When they killed those sacrifices, they didn't just take a little nick and get a drop or two. Right? All the blood was shed. And that animal died. And that's what it's pointing to. The fact that his body was going to be broken and he was going to shed. Gush forth is what that literally means. Shed all of his blood for you. He would die. He would lay down his life. So to be the blood of a new testament. Why? For the remission of sins. Okay. Let's go back. Just hang our finger back on Matthew 26. For this is my blood of the new testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins not a message on election, but you see there, it doesn't say for all. If it were for all, there would be no one going to hell. Okay. 
This is my blood of the New Testament. That testament, that testament that's, that's another word for a will. Do you know what a will is? It's a promise. And that promise goes into effect after the person who promises it dies. So Jesus made that promise. And His body was broken. And His blood was shed. And that promise became enforced. And that promise was that He was going to pay for your sins and that you would be with Him in glory. Blood of the New Testament. Remission of sins. Remission of sins. Remission is a good preacher word, right? What does that mean? What does remission mean? Literally, freedom. Freedom from your sins. Or pardon for your sins. Deliverance from your sins. These are all synonyms of the same word as translated elsewhere. Forgiveness from your sins. Liberty from your sins. You are no longer a slave to sin. It's not your master anymore. At one point, it, it sure was. But not only that, you're no longer bound to the penalty of sin. The wages or what you receive for sin is always the same. The end result is death. And what Christ came to give, the mission He came to perform, and the one that He successfully accomplished is that for each of His children whom the Father gave Him, He gives them, not that they could turn it away, an inheritance of eternal life. Eternal life is to know the Father and to be with them. Eternal life. You have been spared from an unending death. That's really what hell is. It's an unending death. You, you won't die again, but you will be separated from God for forever. And it, it is the most awful thing that you can imagine. But it is the rightful consequence for sin. God is a just God. Sometimes we talk about fairness and we kind of whine about, oh, this ain't fair, that ain't fair. If God were fair to us, every single one of us will be cast into hell. And while we were there, all we could really say is, Lord, you are right to do it. You're just and holy. And so, we don't beg <laughs> for fairness. Rather, we plead and brag on the mercy that's been shown. Grace. Favor that's been bestowed without merit. Didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. And yet he still voluntarily gave himself. Because you think there's anybody who could have forced Jesus to have his body broken or his blood shed if he was not a willing participant? Not a one. He was God. At one point when his disciples are trying to get uppity and think they're, all right, here comes the battle. We've been waiting for somebody to fight. And they're in the garden. They're going to arrest him. And Peter draws his sword and hacks off somebody's ear, one of the high priest's servants. And Jesus says, put up your sword. You that live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Don't you know that I could have 12 legions of angels come down to defend me? You know what kind of firepower one, legion, one, one angel can do? In the Old Testament, he killed 185,000 men in one night. Now, assuming there's a thousand in a legion, I don't know exactly how many are in a legion. Assuming there's a thousand, you're talking 12,000 angels. That's enough firepower to kill every human on the planet. Right? That's a different angel. So, Jesus voluntarily did this for you, he wasn't forced. He went of His own accord to lay down His life, His body to be broken, and His blood to be shed. Why? For the remission of sins. So that you would have freedom from sin. So you would escape the just punishment that was due you and due me. Now that punishment didn't go away. It was put onto Him. He bore it for you. He took it for you. He carried it 
He took your punishment fully. So as we come, we're going to bless our God, celebrate our Lord and His body, and we're going to thank our Lord for the blood that was shed again for me for you without this you have no hope there is no other way to after death something's pleasant just one way and that's Jesus and Jesus alone and so as we come today we're remembering the sacrifice that He made, the death that He made, the gravity of it. Because guess what? We need to be reminded because we get lukewarm and we get wrapped up in the things of this world and our own cares and our own problems and our own troubles or our own victories. Ooh, Lord, help us if we have some victories. And we start thinking, I got this. I can do it. I'm doing great. Who needs the Lord? You don't consciously say it, but you act it. I act it. You need Him. You need to be reminded of why are we really here? Not just here in the church, but here on this planet. Why am I here? I was created by an almighty God who knew me and chose me and to hither... Up to this very day, He has continued to spare me. Think about that. I've got nothing to be thankful for. The Lord didn't allow you to die yesterday. You've been given one more opportunity to serve Him. Are you living like this is your last opportunity to serve Him? Or are you living like I'm lo- I've, I've got to get all these things done to serve me. So this is our reminder. Sit still, Patrick. This is our reminder of the grave sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Now, just for the sake of completeness, I want you to look at Mark chapter 14. We'll read there quickly. There's not much additional information, but I want us to look at at what does the Scripture say about this? And so we'll look at all of it. Mark 14, verse 22. As they did eat, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took the cup when He had given thanks. Again, we've got the blessed and thanks. He gave it to them, and they drank of it. And He said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many. And again I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day which I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Okay. And then when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So at the end of our uh, service, we'll have our communion service, and then we'll go into our foot washing service, and at the very end we'll sing a hymn. And that's why we're following that pattern. We'll have a prayer afterwards. It doesn't have that there, but that's okay. It's always good to pray. We're instructed to pray without ceasing. But but why do we do what we do? It's because we're trying to follow the pattern that's given. Go forward to Luke 22. Luke 22. In verse, let's pick up at 13. He gave them instructions on how to find the place where they were going to eat. They went and found as he'd said, and they went and made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The word suffer there is also translated passion. Sometimes you hear the expression, the passion of the Christ. I never really understood that. It's not a word that I use very often, but it just means the suffering. I have desired, I have longed with an intense desire to have this meal, this final meal. Sometimes we use the expression, Last Supper. Um, I think in our vernacular, we understand on execution, you know, the last 
on the green mile or whatever, when you're on death row, you get a last meal. This was Jesus' last meal. And he used it to institute and to give us this model, this commandment, for how we will remember the sacrifice he was about to make. With desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will no more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the first two Gospels said he won't drink anything. Here we get he won't eat anything either. Now note that it's the Passover. This is really the last Passover. Now they'd celebrate it a little bit longer afterwards, but I want you to think about that. What happened at the Passover? Kids, do you remember? Back in the first Passover, they were the children of Israel were in Egypt, right? And God said, y'all go home, you have your shoes on, you have everything packed up, you take uh, the lamb, you paint his blood on the doorway, you eat him, you eat him ready to go because that night the destroying angel was going to come through Egypt and he was going to kill all the firstborn of any house that didn't have the blood painted onto it. What did all that point to? It points to Jesus. It points to what he was going to do. Okay, so that was the foreshadowing pointing to the real. Right? It was, here is God sparing somebody who's not worthy because of the lamb that he told them, here it is, here's the blood that we're going to spare you for. It's pointing to what Jesus was about to do. So that type and shadow was about to be fulfilled in that he was that lamb. He was the one whose blood is going to cover you. And that destroying angel, that's, that's the final judgment, right? When you get before the throne of God, you don't have to be fearful. Because the blood of Christ has already been covered all of your sins. They've been put away. You've been freed from them without exception. Not a jot or a tittle. Right? You ever start cleaning out a room and you think you're done? And you find that one more box? Right? It's just infuriating to me. You thought the project was complete and then there's something else. Right? This is not like that. There's not going to be, well, Jesus got almost all of it except for these over here and we need to talk about these. No, he got those too. Every single one has been paid for. So here he's coming in. This is the last Passover. Really? Because going forward, we're going to be celebrating the real. And that was great that they were delivered from Egypt, but you know what happened? They still died in the wilderness because they were disobedient. They did not enter into that rest of that promised land because it still had a dependence upon them. It was still in that type and shadow. It was imperfect. But you get to enter into his rest. His rest being with Him in heaven. There is no opportunity, no occasion, there's nothing that can happen where you won't be there with Him. That's worth celebrating. Why? How is that possible? Because of the sacrifice that He made. That He voluntarily stood in your spot. I mean, you, you can imagine that you're you know, up on the gallows, you've got the noose around your neck, and the hand, hangman's got his hand on the switch. You know, you're waiting for that clock to hit noon, and then ding, 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 and poof, right? And right before he pulls the switch, someone comes up and says, no, I'll take it in place. And they put their head in that noose, and that rope is pulled, and they die. That's what happened to you. That's what happened for you. Imagine that. If, if that was really how you, you'd experience something like that, you were guilty. You had murdered somebody. Whatever it is, you had been condemned to death. And this is the old west where there's hangings. And somebody comes up those steps and says, I'll take that punishment and dies for you. What would you do as you were marching down those steps? Would there be a moment, one moment for the rest of your life where you would not think about that individual? I bet he'd make a pretty big impression on you. That's what's happened. That's how important Christ is in our life. Lord, help us. Lord, forgive us for our betrayals to Him of not remembering what He's done and the magnitude, the order, the size of the sacrifice that He's made on our behalf. 
He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and said unto them, This is my body which is given for you. It's for you. This do in remembrance of me. Our Lord and Savior gave us a command there. Do this. Why are we doing this? In remembrance of Him. To call it back to your mind. To recollect. To refresh your memory. Do this in remembrance of me. Why do we have this? We do this, one, because He told us to. And so all we can say is, yes, sir. And the reason He told us to do it is to remember Him. To remember His death. Likewise, the cup after supper saying, this cup is is the New Testament, that new promise, in my blood. This cup is the New Testament, in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me at the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth, as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. So again, Judas is there. And woe was declared unto him. And what do they do? They begin to inquire among themselves, which of them it should be that do this thing? Alright. Now, this is a little bit different, but I want you to read a little bit farther and see. And they also, there was also a strife among them. Got those, you know, Renaissance pictures of the Last Supper, everyone's so peaceful and great, right? These jokers are fighting. What are they fighting about? Which of them should be accounted of the greatest? Now, I don't know exactly how the order was of whether this was after the Lord washed their feet or whether He washed their feet after this or before. I, I don't know exactly. Um, but either way, seems like they needed a reminder about humility. They're fighting about who should be a greatest. And so He gives them some instructions. He said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. And so he's talking about the hierarchies within the natural carnal world. He said, you've got those who are in top dogs and they've got authority and they're lording over people. He says, but ye shall not be so. He says, don't try to fit that model within the church. That's not how I've set it up. Ye shall not be so. But he that is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is it not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. Right? We'll just stop there. The service. It's not about our pride. Certainly not about our vainglory. That all that we're doing is in service Service to our God, service to one another. If you want to be great among the church, serve the most. Minister. Sometimes in the world we kind of think, oh, that's a, that's a fancy term, right? It means servant. To minister. It just means a servant. What is my role? It means I'm the, the, the chief servant. I should serve more than anybody and setting the example in how to serve. Not to be lording over anybody. So given that they needed this reminder about humility, we also at the same time we observe our communion, we also observe washing of the feet. Go to John chapter 13. Starting in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of the world unto His Father, having loved His own, which are in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He was come from the Father and went to God, excuse me, and it was come from God and he went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, 
girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, so he's been going along with the disciples, and he gets to Peter. Peter says, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered, says, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, Him that is washed needeth not to wash needeth not save to wash his feet. He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Referring to Judas, it's kind of awkwardly phrased, but you have been washed. You've already been washed and been made clean. As we come to wash each other's feet and follow an example given by our Lord. You know, we're not giving each other a full dunk. It's just feet. You've already been made clean from your sins. They've already been paid for. They've already been forgiven. But as you're walking in this world, you make mistakes. You get defiled by the, the things of the week. Right? And so as we wash each other's feet... It doesn't change the fact that Jesus has already washed you clean for every sin that you ever committed. But it reminds you that look, you are clean. Even that bad mistake you made today, this morning, that fight in the car ride, right, with the spouse. I don't know if anybody's ever done that. Coming to church or with mom and daddy or whatever, where we come and we're just in the wrong attitude. We just feel like we've already failed before we've gotten here. That those new mistakes, those are paid for too. And we're being reminded of it. Just being reminded of the death, we're being reminded that He's made us clean. And that you're not bound by those things. You don't have to continue in them. They're not your master. So He said that they were not all clean. Well, which one was not? It was Judas. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after that he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and was set down again, he said, Know ye what I have done unto you? Do you, do you understand what I have done? As he's washed each of their feet. Ye call me Master and Lord. And ye say, Well, for so I am. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your master. He was their master. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Ought. Should. Wash one another's feet. For, an example, I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Happy are ye if you do them. You think about that argument they were having in Luke, right? Same scene, argument who's going to be the greatest. He said, I'm your Lord and Master. You know that I outrank you. Right? And if I am willing to bend my knee and to humble himself to become as a servant and to serve that which he created, do you have any right not to humble yourself before those whom he bought? His children who are adopted into His family. Your brothers and sisters. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters. Because we are all adopted into the same family. Right? There's not tears here. It's not, alright, well you're an aunt. You've been around longer. No, it's, it's all brothers and sisters. 
all purchased by the same sacrifice, made holy by the same sacrifice, adopted into the family. And so when we call each other brother and sister, it's a title of respect. There's a, there's a level of familiarity you may have within your family where you call each other by your first names. This is a family where we are reminding, how are we family? We may share similar blood or DNA, and we do. We go back to Noah and back to Adam. There's, there's a lot of connection there. But still, you have a closer connection, and we remind each other of it every time we say, Brother Will, Sister Wanda, it's that this is one for whom my Lord has died. This is one who has publicly confessed that He's their Lord and Savior and that they've joined their church and that we are part of the same body as we're going to serving Him. And by that, He said, this was one of which your work is worthy of your service. Right? If you know these things, happier are you, happier are you if you do them. So what is the... Now, God's smart. You know, that's kind of an understatement to say. But He has created you know, an institution to remember His death, and then He's also given a suggestion... If you do them, you ought to. You should do them. Didn't frame it as a command. But if you do, you have a practical humbling. It's an effective tool. Have you ever looked down your nose at somebody while you're looking up at them? Right? It's really hard to do as you're running water over somebody's feet to think that you're better than them. God gave us a practical tool for reminding us that we're not. It's effective. And for the, you know, some of us learners, we're not auditory learners. It may be hard to sit here under the sound of the gospel. It may be hard and you may zone out at times. Well, this is a tactile learning experience, right? You're having to physically feel and touch and handle one for whom the Lord has died. And thinking about that connection between you and him or her. What is the connection? Christ. Do you have anything in common with people in this room? You have the most in common. The most important thing in common. That that blood and that body that were shed for both of you. And is this person as I'm bowing down and humbling myself and washing the feet, are they worthy? By your own merit, none of us are. But by Him and what He's imputed unto you and His righteousness, absolutely. Did the Lord know what he was doing? Absolutely. Will his church ever function as the way it ought to if we have our egos and our prides and our Ottawanas all up in arms? No. But what a beautiful thing when brothers and sisters are literally in the trenches together, serving together, working together, each trying to serve one another. That's how he designed it. Your faith is effective through your love. You show that through your love. Happy are you if you do them. Now, we could go to John chapter 6 and look at about 40 verses to learn a little bit more about the bread. And we could go to Hebrews chapter 9 to learn a little bit more about the blood. But we'd be done around 2 this afternoon. (laughs) So we'll save that for another time. But the short version of the bread is that Jesus told them before this point, He told those in John 6 that He was the true bread, the living bread. They wanted a sign saying, you know, how do we believe that you're, you're who you say you are? You know, how do we believe? Give us a sign. You know, Moses, they got bread. And these folks, they had already enjoyed a free meal on Him and they wanted another one. He said, he got manna from heaven, you know, what sign will you give us? He said, I'm the true bread. The one that came from God, sent down from God. And that all of his would eat his body. And that confused the hound out of him. And in fact, many would say after he was done teaching, this is a hard saying, and who could know it? And many stopped following him. (coughs) That manna was another type pointing to Jesus. 
It was a sustaining of their life in the wilderness that they couldn't control. It was given freely. Those who went and gathered a lot and those that went and got a little, they came out with the same amount. There was no lacking. The Lord was providing and He was giving enough that they needed. He was sustaining their life in a time when there was nothing. They were out in the desert. You didn't have any farms or crops and you had a population of 600,000 men plus women and children plus cattle. That's a whole lot of logistics to keep fed. And so even on that small scale is pointing to what God can provide to sustain life. But what happened to all those people? They died. Right? But this perfect bread, this perfect bread came and He gives life everlasting. No limit. Read John chapter 6 this week and talk about it more. Or Hebrews chapter 9 where it discusses how in the Old Testament the high priest would only go into that most holy chamber once a year. He'd have to do it with blood. But first he'd have to offer a sacrifice for himself if he was a sinner. And then he'd offer a sacrifice for the people. Well, we have a high priest and our Lord who didn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself because he was perfect. He was without sin. And he didn't offer a sacrifice of goats or animals or anything like that because that can't do anything. That was just a remembrance to the sin pointing to the true gift. He offered himself the best sacrifice. And he doesn't have to do it again over and over and over again because when he did it once, he was completed. And that's why he could sit down on the right hand of why offering his own blood. He accomplished what he set out to do. We sing victory in Jesus. We don't sure we don't sing, I sure hope he's got a victory. Maybe there's a victory. Maybe one day, oh wow, oh I wanna. <coughs> if only I get the right lotto ticket. Victory. No. We serve and worship and adore a victorious Savior. And his blood was effective. It accomplished exactly what he set out to do. He's put away your sins. That's what we're remembering today. So as we come, we're going to bless our God for the body that was broken for us. And we're going to praise Him in gratitude and in thanks for the blood that was shed. Thank you all for your time and attention.